Welcome to the founders of Web3 series by Outlier Ventures and me, your host, Jamie Burke. Together, we're going to meet the entrepreneurs, their backers, and the leading policymakers that are shaping Web3. Together, we're going to try to define what is Web3, explore its nuances, and understand the mission and purpose that drive its founders. If you enjoy what you hear, please do subscribe, rate, and share your feedback to help us reach as many people as possible with the important mission that is Web3. Welcome, Lou. It's great to have you on the podcast as one of our first guests. Uh, I guess we've known each other virtually for a while now. I'm, I'm guessing a couple of years, possibly. We were introduced by, by James Haft, but I don't think we've ever had the pleasure of meeting in person. I think we've tried a couple of times. But. No, I look forward to it. Um, Thanks for having me. So obviously, I've been following a lot of uh, what you've been doing, community building within the crypto space. By way of background, you've been both an investor at Flight Partners, which was an Israeli syndicate. I believe it was one of the largest ones on, on Angel's List at, at one point. You have been quite active in Web2 with the Social Internet Fund. And then you also advise uh, fund of funds in, in the blockchain space and, and, and crypto. But you're probably best known for your work around Crypto Mondays, um, which has lots of kind of spin-offs at the moment, including Crypto Z TV and Crypto VR. And I guess we'll kind of get into that a little bit later. But it, it would be great to hear, you know, what still fascinates you about the space. I'm always kind of try to avoid doing a, a Genesis story because... <laughs> um, you know, that, that can go on for quite a while, but it's good to know, you know, we're, we're quite a way in. You've been around in this space for, for, for a while. You know, what, why, why are you still here? What keep, keeps you in? Uh, yeah, it's, a, it's a great question. I actually just wrote a post uh, a couple of days ago titled Why I'm Leaving Crypto. And obviously it was a, a great clickbait title because I am not leaving crypto. You um, got me. You got me. I did. I did <laughs> click. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think we're going through a period of time now. You know, obviously we had, uh, you know, the massive run up in 2017. And then, you know, the, the, the industry was a lot bigger then. And a lot of people who were just here for the money left in 2018. And then, you know, the people who really believed who had seen the crypto light, you know, if they could, they stuck around, you know, 2019. And now here we are, 2020 you know, really two years into the bear market. And I, I, I'm starting to see people who actually have seen the crypto light, you know, really questioning if, you know, if, if what they see is is real and, and some of them are, are leaving crypto. And so the point of my post is not that I'm leaving crypto, but really why I'm still here. I, and I'm still here, you know, I, I pointed out a, a number of things uh, about why I'm still here, but ultimately it's because, you know, and, and what we've seen over the world over the last few months just highlights it is, you know, the world is incredibly broken and our systems are incredibly broken. And I think they're irreparably broken. And so at the core, I'm still here in crypto because I think that crypto represents a better way. And, you know, it's early days and we've got a, a ways to go to get there. But I don't want to spend my time working on an irreparably broken uh, system. And, and this is a new system and, and, and the things that continue to give me confidence that it's that it's a better system, you know, is is simply because you know, there's no man in the middle. And I'm not going to get into you know, that that aspect of it, because I assume most of the people on your podcast are aware of that. 
and the other things that really kind of continue to sustain me is, you know, first I was here around for the internet bubble and burst. And the mistake I made was I let the market going down tell me what and inform me uh, about the truth of the internet and the, in, the impact the internet was going to have on society. And, you know, while the market's a signal, the market is not truth. And so I'm taking the market as a signal now, but not as truth. Yeah. You know, and yeah, I was just at ETH Denver a couple months ago, and, and this is an industry that's still attracting some of the smartest people on the planet who are passionate about crypto and who see the same things that, uh, you know, that, that you and I see. And, you know, even though we're still in this bear market, there are some things that are scaling. You know, speculation in Asia was the first thing to scale. You know, I was in Asia four times last year, and it's just a totally different world in crypto Asia than it is in crypto US or crypto Europe. Um, you know, there's still Lambos at the, at the events there because there's a lot of money being made there now, a lot of it's speculation, most of it's speculation. But there are also you know, a lot of investment going on there and trying to build core technologies. And it's not just speculation, but, you know, over the last six months, we've seen a lot of scaling in DeFi. And obviously, you know, we, we had a bit of a plane crash in MakerDAO, but anybody who understood how things work knew that we were going to have plane crashes. And by the way, spoiler alert, that's not our last plane crash. So while we're still two years into this bear market, uh, I still see plenty of reasons to be remarkably positive. And I mean, my kind of sense on things, because like you, I have exposure to crypto in lots of different markets, notwithstanding the fact that I'm based in Europe, which has a particular flavor and a sentiment that sometimes trails others, but is also quite separate. But equally, I also spent quite a bit of time in Asia and China last year. And it, it feels like in the US, there, there is a bit more capitulation. There seems to be this return back to Bitcoin and Bitcoin maximalism. Is, is that true? It's just what I seem to be picking up on Twitter compared to, to say, Asia. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting, right? We can all get this distorted view of what's going on based on the particular individuals we follow or have respect for on, on, on Twitter. Yeah, look, this, the, the U.S., uh, to call it capitulation, I, I guess, you know, we are, you know, one of the things that I was struck by on my first trip to Asia was, you know, I, I met some guys from Circle at the, the first events and you know, I asked them how it was going and they're saying, oh, it's horrible, we're leaving. And I'd never like seen people working at a company talking about how they had one foot out the door five minutes after I met them. And it was because what you're telling me was so broadly well known, and that's you know that that Circle, as well as any other U.S. company, can't compete because of the regulatory environment in the United States. Even if they're in Asia, they still have to comply with a lot of things. So you know, I think for for regulatory reasons, um, you know, as you know, the, by by wide margin, the number one thing, you know, it's it's just you know, the U.S. is still very much. Uh, in a bear market, there's still a lot of innovation going on in New York, in San Francisco, in Los Angeles, uh, and and other cities, Seattle. But you know, obviously, the level of activity is you know ten, twenty percent of what it was a couple of years ago. So, is it true to say that U.S. startups, in a sense, are kind of fighting with with one arm behind their back, in in the sense that they just can't, they can't, you know. They can't do the dance around regulation that other startups can just by, you know, re-domiciling somewhere else that's a bit more friendly. 
yes. And so, you know, the only, the stuff that's happening here, again, you know, and it's a lot of stuff in DeFi is, is happening here, but, you know, the, the bottom line is if, if you have to ask for permission uh, to do whatever it is you're, you want to do in crypto, the answer is going to be no. Um, so, you know, the DeFi guys who are scaling, uh, like Maker, uh, like DeFi Zap, uh, like Uniswap, um, you know, they're not calling the government and asking uh, yeah. permission. They're just going out there and they're doing it. Well, and I think, you know, certainly if we look at the action that has happened from the SEC, putting aside, you know, outright fraud, if anything, they've certainly set a precedent, which is to, to just do it and, and beg for forgiveness afterwards, right? Good actors that have tried to engage with them over very long periods often end up running out of money. You know, they just can't, can't afford for the legal fees. So it's, um, so, so, so what, what is that then doing to the startup ecosystem? Are they relocating or are they, they is it just pushing, pushing them more to the extreme of, of decentralization and, and things like DeFi? Yeah, no, they, they, the people who really want to do something in an area that is regulated, they have to leave. You cannot do it here. Um, the, uh, you know, I mean, Coinbase, obviously, they were the first one. They had some success. Uh, but I think, like, if you take a look at FTX as an example, are you familiar with FTX? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, they're, they're a great company. You know, a bunch of Americans sitting in Hong Kong, um, you know, uh, building a, a great derivatives platform. So, uh, so you can do it if you're American, if you, you know, if you leave and work for a company that, that isn't domiciled in the United States. And that's what a lot of people are doing. You know, go to Asia, uh, go to Berlin. Uh, a lot of Americans uh, in the Berlin ecosystem, which is awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And do you think that, and this is an impossible question to answer, so it's really kind of your, just your gut instinct, but do you think with all the macro stuff that's happening at the moment, this is going to play is going to be beneficial in the US for crypto? Or uh, do you think it's just going to kind of distract everybody from even considering innovation in this space for some time? Sure. So, you know, the, like the weird thing is, right, we, we all, you know, have our life experience and, and we extrapolate from our life's experience, uh, even though sometimes it's from very small samples. But yeah, I was there at the beginning uh, of uh, my first company was the largest streamer of video in 2000, except for it's, you know, the experience sucked because the pipes weren't ready. Uh, yeah. And fast forward five years, you know, I was there when somebody uploaded a video called Lazy Sunday onto this tiny little website called YouTube. And YouTube that day became the fastest growing website in the history of the world in five years. You know, and and a, a few months later, they were acquired for one and a half billion dollars uh, by Google. And, and that happened for you know, a number of reasons, but you know, at the, at the end of the day, I really feel like we as an industry have to build product products that people want to use and can use. And if we do that, uh, which I, you know, I think we're, it's inevitable that we will do that, uh, then we'll have our crypto moment and, 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 and something will go mainstream and then the second thing will go mainstream and, and then we'll be, yeah, and then we'll see a bubble that's going to dwarf the last bubble. Uh, and the only question I have, I have no doubt that's coming. The only question is, is it, you know, one week, one month, one year, 10 years? Um, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it's closer to one year or one month and 10 years. But, uh, you know, that's something that nobody has the answer to. 
Yeah, and I know it's a case of staying solvent, right? <laughs> until that until that moment exactly. happens. Exactly. Um, well, you know, there, there, there's a great. Do you know who Bill Gross from Idealab is? I don't. So, so my first company, uh, I was working. I was an equity analyst. I'd kind of bounced around uh, uh, earlier in my career uh, with little success, and then I found my way to Wall Street, and I was uh, become an equity analyst, and uh, and I ended up at Goldman Sachs, and uh, yeah, I was kind of living the dream, and I was very happy with my work. Equity analysts were well paid in late '99, but in my gut, I'm an entrepreneur, and I was still working for the man. And I got a call to to be the CEO of a, of a internet company by the by the first internet incubator called Idea Lab. Bill Gross, uh, the smartest guy I've ever met. Uh, I joined Idea Lab as the 55th company uh, in the incubator in January of 2000. In February, he raised a billion dollars cash. About four years ago, he did a TED Talk uh, where he did a data analysis of the more than uh, 200 companies he started, uh, including eight unicorns, including what I believe to be the best business idea in the history of mankind, which is paid search, which was his idea. And anyways, he did a, the data analysis and in the TED Talk, he's also a great speaker. You know, he says he called the company Idea Lab because he thought it was all about the idea. And then after a couple of years, uh, he realized it was all about the management. And then he eventually ran the numbers and found that by a wide margin, the dominant factor driving success of startups is timing. You know, it's not what they did as yes, much as what they did. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, you know, as somebody that's watched the web evolve, web one, two, and now let's call it three. I mean, do you, do you refer to this space as web three? I know you prefer the kind of crypto moniker, but does web three make sense to you as a, as, as yeah, web, to web, define web, as a paradigm? It makes sense to me. I, I really don't care. Um, I think what's more important than what we call it is that we all kind of call it the same thing. And, you know, that's a struggle that every industry has when it's new and will coalesce around something. Eventually, I'm happy using Web3. You know, I, I certainly understand that, you know, I was there at Web2. The sec company I ran was the largest social network in the world before MySpace. Uh, so I was there at the beginning of the promise of, of Web2. Uh, and how it was going to get rid of all the gatekeepers. And obviously what we ended up with were just bigger, more dominant gatekeepers. Um, and so, you know, thinking of this as Web3 and, and thinking of this as really giving the power to the people, to the community, you know, that was the promise of Web2. It didn't turn out that way. Um, it's the promise of Web3 and time will tell uh, whether it turns out that way or not. I still think that there's, you know, a... a very, very, you know, significant chance that this will end up just being controlled by, you know, the same guys who controlled Web2 uh, because, you know, they've got massive, you know, tools to use, whether it's capital or people or, or lobbyists and such to make sure that they stay in power. Yeah. And obviously we've already seen with Facebook Libra uh, that move. I mean, it's interesting uh, prior to crypto or even in investing uh, I set up one of the first social media agencies, consultancies in Europe. And I, I remember, Time frame. oh God, I can never really remember the year, but it, it's got to be, I, I remember even prior to that, I was, uh, uh, so I originally worked in um, WPP, the advertising group, and I was the first person to bring Twitter and Facebook into JWT um, wow. when they had like a sales team of, I don't know, two, three people. In the oh, UK, that's crazy, yeah. Um, and you know, I remember a lot of hubris and naivety that this was going to change everything for the better. I mean, we always we're all um, often utopists at heart, right? We all we all kind of hope 
the world's going to improve. And of course, you know, fast forward to where we are now with uh, surveillance capitalism and however you want to call it, the dominant model of cloud platforms, uh, and it couldn't be uh, further from the truth. So I do think it's a really interesting you know, question. What, what can we learn from that? And I was going to ask you, if, if it is Web3, if it is something distinct to Web2, what is different or what promises to be different? And then, you know, you were talking about some of the watchouts where I guess the key one would be if, if we think this is all about disintermediation, it's about decentralization, then, you know, where are the threats for centralization and middlemen reestablishing themselves? So, yeah, I mean, I'll just bet the last thing. So, you know, the challenges we have, uh, I, again, I, I think that the biggest difference between crypto and everything that came before crypto is community. Because if you decentralize, then you're empowering the community. And, yeah, at the end of the day, you know, the world's work where there's always been somebody in the middle and that person is solving for themselves. And now we can solve for the community and we can set a you know, set rules for how the community functions and they can be algorithms. So we know they're going to be followed. And, you know, the, the, the struggles that we have and what we need to get better at are, are the two tenets of communities, which are, you know, what are the token economics? How do we incentivize people in the community to act in the best interest of the community? And the other is governance and consensus. How do we move forward as a community? Because if we can't move forward, the world changes, the world evolves. Um, there's a great Thomas Jefferson quote, you know, because there was a big battle when they wrote the Constitution in the United States about whether the Constitution be, should be set in stone or whether it should be a living document. And, and he forcefully yes. argued it should be a living document because, you know, otherwise would be like forcing, a, you know, a grown man to wear the coat that fit him as a little boy. And, and so most crypto companies are going to decentralize crypto companies are going to have to have some form of governance that enables them to evolve and we're not there yet uh, in terms of having a functional governance system for decentralized organizations you know at scale bitcoin is bitcoin in some degrees because its governance is broken and so uh, everybody knows what it's going to be and therefore can have a lot of faith in it which is which is interesting but bitcoin's you know competing against gold which hasn't, you know, to some degree, at least that's what I think it is, you know, which hasn't changed in 5,000 years. So it doesn't have to evolve uh, very much, I think, to, you know, uh, uh, supplant gold. But I think most other crypto entities are actually going to have to have, uh, it, it, decentralized entities are going to have to have functional governance systems, and there really aren't any yet. Yeah, and, and I guess this is what's led you into the, the world of DAOs, but I just want to kind of pick upon what I think is a key word in what you said, which is around rules and the, op the ability for us to potentially have a rules-based web, I guess not one set of rules, but a number of competing constitutions and rules, presumably those that are the most friendly or enabling uh, or least extractive, th that's where the most economic value will flow to. And, you know, I think if you look at some of the, failings or not even failings right the, the reason why the web is the way it is today if, if you look at some of the kind of founding fathers of that and the 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 dogma that they brought to it you of course had the declaration of independence of cyberspace which pretty much said we don't want any rules here it'll be run by a market and uh, quite a kind of free market fundamentalist attitude towards the market will solve for 
problems, and in a way it did. Um, you had these commercial entities solve for there being no identity native to the to the web, there being no form of reputation, there being no kind of property um, property rights. But you know, in the end, that created this evolutionary niche for for these platforms to emerge. And so, you know, I also kind of really like this idea about the ability to hard code rules into the web in order that they can be more orderly, or at least we can understand the rules of the game in a way that perhaps with the web now it's implicit rather than explicit. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, right now we live in a world for the most part where, you know, the institutions that we have to interact with, they don't even tell us the rules. And, and if they do tell us the rules, they're lying. And if they're not lying, then they're just changing them because they can. And that's the way humanity has always worked. And, and right, and now there's the opportunity for a, a better system. And, you know, I've talked a lot about community without actually even giving a definition for it, because again, you know, nomenclature is important. For me, when, when, I, when I use the term community, what I mean is an ecosystem where everybody gets more out of it than they put in, which is kind of like magical. And if you think, you know, when I think about how big communities can become, you know, I think that there's a, a high correlation between you know how how much a community can scale and the delta or the difference between how much it costs them to produce the good that they give to the community you know right people belong to communities because they're getting value from it and so the question is you know what's the difference between how much it costs the community to you know build or create what it is that the community members value and how much the community members value that out. So the difference between those two things, I think will drive uh, the scale or be highly correlated to the scale of the community. And if you think about what are the biggest communities today, the biggest communities today in the world are religions. Why? Because they have the biggest delta, right? They, they create faith and faith doesn't cost anything to make. It's free to manufacture. They can manufacture an infinite amount of faith and it doesn't cost them anything more. And people, you know, millions of billions and billions of people, you know, will, would give their lives for their faith. So um, as, you know, crypto, you know, then that's the framework I use for crypto communities. What is it that, what's the value that we're creating? You know, how much does it cost us? And, and how much is our, our community members valuing that? If you can get a big enough delta there, I think you can create, you know, build a big business. Right. So let's jump into to DAOs because obviously there's a natural kind of um, leap. Now, you recently did DAOfest, um, which I, I dialed into, um, albeit quietly observing. <laughs> to be honest, I felt a bit old, which is normally a good thing in, in, in these instances. So on the one hand, I kind of, you know, listening to it, uh, the, the cynic in me was a bit skeptical and thinking, wow, there's a lot of hubris and naivety there. At the same time, there was a lot of energy and excitement and kind of positivity about the possibilities. And actually, I, I think that mix is, is, is really healthy. But I'll, I'll be honest, up until, up until that point, I'd always been hopeful about the promise of DAOs, but kind of skeptical short to midterm that it would ever break out of, of, of the crypto community. But I, after listening to that, I went away quite energized about its possibility and, and then went down a bit of a rabbit hole as to the, the kind of state of play with the, the stack that 
or stacks that have been built around DAOs, whether that's um, you know DAO stack itself or, 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 or any others, and had kind of my my tech guys look at it, and there's it, it's it's pretty mature, and I kind of just had the feeling that. It, you know, Bitcoin emerged in 2008 as a response to 2008, or as, as the folklore has it. And I could imagine, so it's, that for me was a question of what is money? And if we look at the DAO, maybe now is the time for the DAO, because that is what is work. When everyone's going to be out of work or, you know, having to uh, work in a more decentralized way. But it would be great to, to kind of jump into that a little bit. You know, what have you, what have you learned from... This time you've invested in in going deep into the DAO space, and and you know what do you see as its opportunities in the in the short to midterm? Sure. So yeah, I think my 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 first real kind of deep initiation into the DAO world was uh, via Matan Feld, who's the founder of DAO Stack. You know, before I got into crypto, I was investing in tech companies founded by Israelis, and I had been into crypto a bit before that. So when I started going to Israel, I also you know I really enjoyed meeting with. Uh, uh, crypto-related companies there. And there, you know, there are a lot of OGs in Israel. You know, that's where zero-knowledge proof was invented, right? They're, they're big on cryptography. And, you know, and what, what Matan was building at Dow Stack or Aragon was building or Colony is building, you know, is this stack of tools to enable, you know, complex organizations to be run in a decentralized fashion. And, you know, and it's incredibly complex. And, and in fact, you know, uh, Jamie, I have no doubt you believe this too, you know, if you're a VC and you've done startups and stuff, but, you know, until you take a product and put it out in the marketplace, you don't have any fucking idea about anything. It's just, you know, right, you know, there, there's, there's data and, and there are uh, opinions and, and really who gives a fuck about opinions? Let's get some data. Let's get out there and, and let's, you know, build a business. And, you know, uh, uh, what happened in, in the Dow world was you had these brilliant guys by, you know, Matan's brilliant before he uh, uh, did Dow stack. He was a string physicist. And, you know, and, and I think he's thinking deeply and, and a lot of smart people work at Dow stack and are helping him think deeply about how this works. But what happened was while all this deep thinking was going on, there was this other incredibly brilliant guy, uh, Amin Soleimani. Do, do, do you know Amin? Uh, I know of him. I don't know him in person. Yeah, but Amin's awesome. Uh, Amin lives in LA. I'm originally from LA and still hang out a lot there. So, you know, I've gotten to know him. Although the first time I met him was when, you know, I, I ended up at a random meetup in Miami just because I was in there and didn't have anything to do. And there were like 10 guys there. And, and Amin at that time was famous, in my view, for having started Spankchain, which is a, a cryptocurrency for the adult industry. Uh, because, you know, at least in the United States, it's very difficult to get a bank account if you work in the adult industry. Um, and he spent half the meetup talking about Spank chain and half of the meetup talking about his more recent project, which uh, was called the Moloch DAO. And essentially, you know, what, what, what Amin came up with is the minimum viable DAO, which is really, you know, what you, what you need to do, just fucking get out there and do it and learn. And uh, so the Moloch DAO, the original Moloch DAO, uh, was uh, to be a grant giving platform because Amin thought that the current Ethereum grant giving platform was kind of broken. And, you know, because it was so functional, uh, his minimum viable DAO, and I think kind of the, the, the biggest innovation he had, the great, is, is the rage quit. So you could give money. I love that. Yeah, exactly. So you could give money to the DAO. And then if the DAO voted on something and you didn't like it, then, 
you know, uh, you could get all your money back that, that, that hadn't been spent up to that date and no money had been spent that you hadn't agreed with or said, I'll, I'll leave my money in the Dow. And just that little bit of innovation and the, and the minimum viable and, and you know, and, and within a couple months, um, you know, he got Joe Lubin to participate and Vitalik to participate and became a big thing. And he, you know, and it was forkable. And now, you know, a, a year later, there are more than 100 forks of, of Moloch Dow and, you know, including, you know, things that have scaled like Metacartel. And, um, you know, and certainly, you know, everybody else in Dow's, you know, has woken up and said, okay, let's all, you know, now, you know, let's go to the minimum viable Dow and then we'll build up from there. Um, and so there's just a, an extraordinary amount of innovation going on today in, in, in DAOs. But, you know, to be clear, they're, you know, the, the, what's working now is, is like, you know, single cell or, or two cell amoebas. You know, they're, 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 they, you know, they can do a very, very, very simple function. But once you, you know, there, there's no complexity yet. And, and so, you know, how we get from here to there uh, nobody knows exactly how, but at least now we're on a path that's moving forward, and that's incredibly exciting. Well, I guess it's like most tech, right, that the early adopters are going to be those that are marginalized. So, of course, you know, the sex industry and technology have been long intertwined. And then, of course, I think <laughs> yeah. if, if you look at um, whether whether it's you know, gambling or, or and gaming, I think, you know, teenagers who are, of course, you know, marginalize, certainly economically, their inability to, to participate in, in the economy. And I think what really struck me as I went down that rabbit hole, having gone to your Dowfest, was, was this merging of the gaming community and, and Dows, and how a lot of the language that's used to describe roles, functions, features, in DAOs are directly correlated to to gaming culture and like clans and stuff like that that you have in these massively multiplayer uh, gaming environments. So, do do you think that your gaming is going to be the breakaway environment for for the application of DAOs, or do you just think it's a generational thing that there's this linkage between the people that are adopting DAOs and crypto and and and, and gaming? Yeah, you know, look, that, that's a great insight and, and, and great question. So when, when I first saw the crypto light and, and when I saw it because of my background, you know, I saw the importance of community. I think we all see something different. I think crypto's infinite. I think we're all right, you know, when we see something different. But, um, you know, but, 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 but I saw community and, and, I, and I saw governance and consensus and I saw token economics, you know, not day one, but pretty quickly. And, and when I saw token economics, my mind was blown and 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 so i i was like immediately set out to try and find like the smartest token economics people i could find and literally like you know the people were charging 500 a thousand dollars an hour to do token economics you know and i was talking to these you know, like the leading consultants who were you know plus one percent of the i mean it was crazy what these guys were getting paid and like the first three or four guys i talked to I knew more about token, token economics than they did, and I didn't fucking know anything. And I was shocked that the people were paying these guys $1,000 to tell them drivel. And then like the fourth or fifth guy got introduced to like the first thing he said blew me away. And the second thing he said blew me away even more. And I said, hold on a minute, how do you know these things? And, and he had said that he had run token economics for Zynga. Right, which was you know, the, and they had like you know, fifty million, hundred million people token economic systems. So he had actually learned 
how token economics work. He hadn't drawn it out on a board and theorized about it, but he had actually done it. You know, and that's a guy, that guy's name is Tom Bollock. And, you know, I said at the time that token economics, you know, that there, you know, when I first saw it, like one of the first things I wrote about it is, you know, and, and we're going to graduate people in PhD programs with token economics degrees. And about three or four months ago in, in, in Crypto Monday, New York, um, you know, I was, uh, did a fireside chat uh, uh, with the woman who, uh, a professor who started the first uh, PhD program in token economics at the University of Vienna. So, you know, again, yes, we have yes, good problems, but uh, uh, yeah, like the smartest people in the world are working to solve them. Yeah, and I think that's one of the most exciting things for me. Uh, if you want any kind of signal, it's where are the, bre- the best and brightest, you know, applying their, uh, their brains and brain power. And it, it still continues to be this domain. And if you look at the breadth of different backgrounds and stuff, one kind of final thing I want to talk on, again, linked to, to DAOs and gaming is NFTs. I know that you've also been exploring that a little bit. You've also recently launched Crypto Mondays VR. So I think you're looking at you know, virtual reality, mixed reality. So what's your perspective on NFTs? Do you think their time has come in 2020 or you know, what's your view on the market? Sure. So, you know, going back, because I think NFTs are just another thing that, okay, well, what is an NFT? What function do they have? And I'll tell you what I think an NFT is, right? So, you know, going back to what I talked about in community, you have, the, you know, the, this idea of token economics and this idea of value creation in community between, you know, how much it costs the community to manufacture the value it gives the members and how much the members value that at. And so, so you know, it's my view that the majority of the value that's going to be given to the community is in, in, in stuff that it doesn't cost the community anything to produce, right? I talked about faith. Faith doesn't cost anything to produce. When I ran Bolt, you know, which was the largest social network in the world before MySpace, 23 million kids at our, at our peak, we could get a couple million kids to do anything for a badge that would scroll around their profile conferring status in our community. Status in a community, people you know, it's free to manufacture and people can value that at a very high rate. You know, everybody wants to be a part of a community and everybody wants to be respected, right? And as part of that community. And, and so when I say NFTs, I say NFTs, you know, when, when I first got into it, I said, look, I know their status and I know there gotta be other things that are gonna be free to manufacture that people value very highly. That's what NFTs are to me. There's this things that we can create for zero and, you know, and whatever they are and what they are, I mean, you know, you know, people just think of them as, as memorabilia, but that's, you know, that's, that's just the, the first kernel of what these things are going to be. You know, to Ticketmaster, every ticket is an NFT that can be imbued with different rights and values that can be torn apart and sold off as one-offs. Um, so, you know, I think that NFTs are going to be a, you know, incredibly foundational element of 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 how this whole ecosystem works because of their role that they can play in community building and as you, as you said you know community crypto for you is ultimately about community right for community reward how do you reward right this is about right we all want to be part of ecosystems that give us more value than 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 we give it right and everybody's got to get that in order for that to happen right you have to be able to create things that people value at more than a lot more than it costs you to create them. And, and the lowest value of creation is zero. 
and we're at the very beginning of what NFTs are going to be. Um, I, you know, the first company I ran was the top level domain TV, you know, so, and I spent a lot of time in the domain name space, right? Domain names are NFTs, right? And what, and, and what can be part of a domain name? I mean, it can be infinite. What can be part of a domain name, right? And now, you know, domain names are also now going to be a lot of our wallets are going to be identified by our domain names, I think, going forward. And those are all NFTs. So, you know, I, I think NFTs uh, are really, really not appreciated. I, th- I don't, yeah, I don't, I think most people have, I think I have a much more expansive view of what they are than most people do. Yeah, and that makes sense. You know, I think most people, I mean, the, the reality is most people can only see what's in front of them, right? So they'll have a very narrow definition on, on, on what's possible today. So one of the things that we want to focus on on this podcast is really the founders that are driving, defining, building Web3. In, in, in your mind, who are the most exciting emerging founders out there and, and what is it that impresses you about what they're achieving now in Web3? Yeah, well, I got to tell you, you know, going to uh, Asia and spending time in Asia, you know, it's completely blown away by CZ and, you know, what he's doing and, you know, buying coin market cap, right? I mean, these guys are seeing a bigger future than anybody in the United States, right? You know, could they be wrong? Sure. But if they're right, and this is what we all fucking think it is, these guys, CZ is going to be looked upon as a genius, you know, and, and somebody else who I think gets ripped in the U.S., um, you know, if you spend your life on the Twittersphere and, and don't go outside of that, and by the way, I spend way too much time in the Twittersphere. So I have massive biases. I have no <laughs> doubt. You know, one of the other guys is, is Justin Sun from Tron, right? Now you can say, well, all he's doing is copying and pasting MakerDAO to give his own thing. But okay, if you can do that, if that's legal, then you could say, well, should it be legal or shouldn't it be legal? That's another question. But the bottom line is, is he's doing it and he's building a company and, you know, and, and, and MakerDAO is going to have to fucking deal with it. And everybody who's whining is just wasting their time. You know, I think what the guys in Maker are doing is awesome. I think Uniswap, oh my God, decentralized liquidity, I, I, you know, I think w- w- is one of the, probably it's the most mind-blowing thing I've seen in the two and a half years uh, that I've been uh, uh, 24-7 crypto. And, and it's all just started. And to some degree, I don't even think it's started yet. It's, it's still so small, which is part of the joy is, you know, m- most people who get it is, uh, you know, we're all working together, rowing in the same direction. There's no reason to fight over anything because there's only crumbs here today. But, you know, let's bake a cake and then we can fight over the slices. Yeah, I mean, it's quite it's quite reassuring to hear that perspective from somebody uh, based out in the U.S. Because, I mean, and clearly it's a byproduct of the fact that you've invested time in in traveling into other regions. And I think, you know, we, we will look to interview founders from across the spectrum on the podcast. We have, you know, several already lined up that you mentioned and in in some ways you know they're seen as controversial or, or frowned upon because and i think it's largely a cultural thing right you know the the approach to entrepreneurism out of asia and china and the focus on execution and and, and deal making the, the kind of a, aggression behind it is weirdly frowned upon now which you know the us was always known for that in the past so i, I find it quite strange yeah you know, I, I don't know. You know, I, I think, right? I mean, if, if you're a trailblazer, like, you know, I'm always shocked that, you know, for me personally, I'm not a fanboy of very many people, but Elon Musk, you know, he's the Thomas Edison of our day. I mean, oh my God. And yet, 
you know, go into the Twitter sphere and there's massive amounts of hate for him. I don't get it, <laughs> but I, you know, you know, and, and community, right. There's massive amounts of hate, you know, just in, in community. And, you know, what you have to realize, I've spent a lot of time in community, you know, and thought a lot about, well, why is there all this hate? Why is there all this vitriol? And what a waste of fucking time and energy. Um, and wouldn't the world be a better place if this didn't exist? And, and, you know, I've now come out the other end and actually believe that it's, it's a feature. It's not a bug. Everybody's, you know, everybody's who they are and has a worldview about how they can make things better. And, and the more you allow people to do that, um, and the more freedom you give people to, you know, achieve their vision, because, you know, nobody knows whose visions is, is really right. So, you know, and that's what I love about crypto is it's the opportunity for people to see a better world and, and, and use tools in, in a Lego way quite often, right? I mean, that's one of the other amazing things is, you know, in DeFi, it's like this world of Legos. We just put different ones together. And now you've got a new company. Um, anyways, this has been awesome. This has been a lot of fun. It's uh, exciting to talk about. Yeah, well, we'll definitely get you on again. So maybe to just close off, do you want to share a little bit more about how people can get involved in Crypto Mondays, Crypto VR, and uh, Crypto 2TV? Sure. So, um, you know, if you live in a city that doesn't have a Crypto Mondays, you know, obviously today nobody's having in-person events, but you can start it off as a virtual event, you know, in your city. I think it's a great time to do that. I think easier to grab people's attention with interesting content today than it will be when people get to go outside again and they can drink again because that's attractive to a lot of people. <laughs> um, so that's Crypto Mondays. Crypto, I didn't talk that much about it, but Crypto ZTV, Z is for Zoom. So it's just a platform, uh, again, similar to Crypto Mondays to help people who have an idea for a show and, and want to do some something over Zoom, you know, to, to, to help them, you know, we, you know, we have Zoom, we have an audience a little bit that we can bring them, but just to give people a platform to help them find their own audience and, and build their own uh, audience. And you know, I think you know, if we get enough of those going, you know, we'll, we'll figure some more things out. I think, uh, you know, we're already learning a lot of uh, uh, interesting lessons. And uh, finally, what's your Twitter handle, Lou? Uh, I'm at Lou Kerner, uh, and I'm also, as I said, an active blogger on uh, on Medium. Great. At Look, thanks for your time. Really great to chat. We'll definitely get you on again at some point, and looking forward to seeing how initiatives like DAOFest um, progress. So thanks for taking me taking me back down the DAO rabbit hole. Okay, thanks a lot, Jamie, and thanks for everything you and Outlier Ventures do for the community. No problem. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please make sure you subscribe, rate, and share your feedback to help us reach as many people as possible with the important mission of Web3.